98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Robert Kemp. Tonight's headlines. Shenzhen authorities charge 10 of the 12 Hong Kongers who allegedly tried to flee to Taiwan by boat. Authorities partially evacuate a public housing block in Naochiwan after a COVID outbreak and the pro-establishment activist Letitia Lee has died. Shenzhen authorities say they have charged 10 of the 12 Hong Kongers detained there after they were caught allegedly trying to flee to Taiwan by boat. Francis Sit has more. In a statement, the Yantan District People's Procuratorate said two people are accused of organizing the illegal crossing and eight are charged with crossing the border illegally. And since the remaining two detainees are minors, a closed-door hearing will be conducted by prosecutors at a later date, before a decision is made in accordance with the law. No dates for any court hearings were specified in the statement. The 12 have been in detention since the Guangdong Coast Guard intercepted their speedboat on August 23rd. 11 had been facing prosecution in Hong Kong in connection with anti-government protest, while one had been arrested but not charged under the national security law. Family members and lawyers engaged by them have been denied access to the group. Authorities have partially evacuated a public housing block in Nao Chiwan as investigations are ongoing over whether the coronavirus is spreading via the pipes. Maggie Ho reports. All residents in every unit numbered 33 and 34 on every floor of Minglai House in Chaiwan Estate are to be sent into quarantine. The decision was taken after people living in several units facing the same direction came down with COVID-19. An infectious disease expert who inspected the building, Yun Kwok Yong, said these flats share the same sewage and venting pipes. All residents living in the block will now be tested. The government is offering free coronavirus tests to more than 350,000 foreign domestic helpers in Hong Kong starting on Friday. This follows an outbreak at Dormitory for Helpers in Taipo. Francis Sit has more. The government says foreign domestic helpers can make an appointment with any of the community testing centres and take a free test until the end of January. The outbreak at the Taipo boarding house has infected eight helpers and a family of four so far. Dr. Chan Shokwan of the Center for Health Protection said the free test aimed to identify asymptomatic foreign domestic helpers. Hopefully, um, most of the uh, foreign domestic helpers can join. This is a one-off scheme. And of course, uh, if any of the foreign domestic helpers, if they have any symptoms, they should uh, seek medical advice as soon as possible. This scheme is for the asymptomatic ones or those who have maybe they foresee they have risk or they, they went out during weekends or have some gathering. They are especially called for testing. Authorities have reported 82 new coronavirus cases. 79 infections are locally acquired, 35 by unknown sources. And more infections have been reported at public housing blocks. Some of the residents living on the 32nd floor of Mingyan House in Sha Tin will be sent to quarantine centres after infections were reported at four units close to one another. Other residents at the building will have to undergo mandatory tests. Five of them face the same direction are not located on different floors. More than 80 people have tested preliminary positive for the virus. Government advisor and respiratory medicine expert David Hoy says he expects the phase three clinical trial results of the Sinovac coronavirus vaccine to be out next Wednesday. The government announced last week that it secured 7.5 million doses from the mainland firm as part of its procurement program. Dr Hoy says if there are no problems with the trial results, the vaccine could be introduced here next month. At the moment, uh, Sinovac has, has published phase one and phase two data. 
showing that the antibody can develop in over 90% of the recipients. And they are actually uh, completing the phase three study, and I think they will actually publish the data on the 23rd of December. Now, so only when they have good safety data with efficacy will the vaccine be introduced in Hong Kong in January. So we are actually waiting for the uh, phase three data. Pro-establishment activist Tisha Lee has died. Reports said the 56-year-old was rushed to hospital after fainting at home and was declared dead shortly afterwards. She reportedly tested preliminary positive for COVID-19 after her death. Ms Lee, who founded the group Justice Alliance, was often seen at pro-government demonstrations. She contended the LegCo elections in 2016. Lawmaker Priscilla Learn confirmed Ms Lee's death. She described her as a close friend and as a talented and courageous individual. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past eleven. All 12 undersecretaries and 14 political assistants have sworn allegiance to the SAR and the basic law, setting the stage for the city's 180,000 civil servants to follow suit. The oath-taking ceremony was held at the central government offices and witnessed by Chief Executive Carrie Lam. Tim Pang reports. A video released by the government first shows the 26 undersecretaries and political assistants singing the national anthem. Then, led by the undersecretary for the environment, Chen Chin Wan, the officials took the oath together. The government said the oath-taking genuinely shows the officials' loyalty and commitment to Hong Kong and the basic law and will boost people's confidence in political appointees. It says permanent secretaries and department heads will take their oaths at a ceremony on Friday. The SAR's 180,000 civil servants will all be asked to sign a similar declaration soon. West Kowloon Court has cleared a social worker of obstructing police, saying an officer was an unreliable witness. Hoi Lai Ming, the director of the Social Workers General Union, was charged in relation to an incident during an anti-government protest in September last year. Magistrate Mei Chung said there were key discrepancies between video footage and the testimony given by the officer. She says the defendant cooperated with police instructions. Ms Hoy spoke outside court. I have to think about maybe I have to go to jail. All this thing makes me so frustrated and sad. So, to be frank, when I heard the result, my tears dropped. Maybe that is happy tears. Ms Hoy was initially charged with assaulting police, but that was changed just before the trial. Defence said the last-minute change reflected the fact that video footage proved that no assault had taken place. Secretary for Justice Theresa Cheng has said the views expressed by herself and her department are the final word on issues of general legal principles, as she defended the DOJ's increasingly outspoken approach in addressing erroneous media reports. As Vicky Wong reports, Ms Cheng said the department's stance on legal principles are, as she put it, perpetual truths that can help safeguard the rule of law. The DOJ typically stays silent about most debates and controversies that rage on in newspapers or in society at large. But recently, the department and its leader, Theresa Cheng, has increasingly been speaking out against what they see as incorrect media reports or interviews. Just earlier this week, Ms Cheng issued a statement rejecting suggestions by Bar Association Chairman Phil Dykes that the police used COVID-19 as an excuse to ban public protests. Late last month, she dismissed the Financial Times article raising concerns that Beijing is looking to clamp down on Hong Kong's independent judiciary. This more outspoken approach, she said, is perfectly justified. The Department of Justice 
has a duty to come out and put the facts right when things are misreported, either by the relevant media or misstated by the person who is making those statements. Ms Cheng said while she and her department would never comment directly on any ongoing cases, matters of general legal principles are fair game, and her position is the unquestionable truth. What the Department of Justice, and sometimes through myself as Secretary for Justice, has said on the general principles are perpetual truths. They are always correct, and it is important that the general public hear them so that they can understand how they should be respecting the rule of law and joining hands with the government as well as the legal profession to safeguard the rule of law. She also said the chief magistrate's decision to clear a fellow magistrate of being biased against anti-government protesters could enhance public confidence in the judicial system. An asylum seeker has told the High Court that immigration staff had mistreated him as he launched a legal bid to be released from their custody. Ahmed Sani Salman filed a writ of habeas corpus challenging the legality of his detention by the Immigration Department for more than eight months. Cecil Wong has more details. Ahmed Sani Salman told the court that officers at the Castle Peak Bay Immigration Centre had mistreated him and failed to provide him with medication he needs. The Pakistani national was placed in custody pending his deportation after authorities rejected his non-refoulement claims. He told the court he has been on a partial hunger strike since July, only eating chocolate and drinking water and tea in protest against his treatment. Representing himself in court, Mr. Salman said he is not a well man. Either deport me or release me. I can't be here any further, he said. He also says he has been suffering from joint pain and had sought treatments from Queen Mary Hospital prior to his detention. But over eight months, he says officers at the center simply gave him a painkiller that caused him allergies and only gave him the medicine prescribed by the hospital a few days ago. But lawyers representing the government urged the court to dismiss the habeas corpus application, saying the Pakistani could abscond if he were released. The lawyer pointed out that Mr. Salman had earlier been convicted of drugs and traffic-related offenses. Despite Mr. Salman stressing that he had served his prison sentences, the government's lawyer argued that there would be a high chance of him re-offending, adding that he is currently in lawful detention and not for an unreasonable amount of time. Judge Anderson Chow reserved judgment to a later date, saying he aims to deliver his ruling as soon as possible. Government says it has stopped paying Ted Hoy for his district councillor role to ensure that public funds are properly used. Former lawmaker has fled Hong Kong for Britain, saying he was going into self-imposed exile. Violet Wong reports. The Home Affairs Bureau announced in a statement that it is withholding Ted Hoy's remuneration from the day that he announced his exile on December the 3rd. It says the move is to ensure the proper use of public funds and that all expense claims are in line with its rules and regulations. The Bureau expressed deep regret over what it called his irresponsible act without elaborating further. Ted Ho, who has served in Central and Western District Council since 2012, was facing a number of protest-related prosecutions in the SAR. He has also quit the Democratic Party. The Bureau earlier said that a district councillor would lose their job if they are absent from meetings for four months. In a Facebook posting, Mr Hoy slammed the decision to stop paying him, calling it political suppression. He also pointed out that his district councillor's office has remained open and continues to serve the public since he left Hong Kong and will make sure his staff will be duly compensated. 
The Australian government is to appeal to the World Trade Organization over China's imposition of punitive tariffs on imports of Australian barley earlier this year. Tensions have been escalating between the two countries. Trade Minister Simon Birmingham said they would show Beijing's 80% surcharge lacked any basis. We want a specific outcome that recognises Australia's grain growers and barley industry operate in nothing other than entirely commercial ways and with the utmost of integrity. But we also want a systemic outcome uh, that identifies the fact that the decisions that have been reached by Chinese authorities lack basis and ultimately leads, we hope, to change in relation to their practices. The Supreme Court in London has ruled that plans to build a third runway at one of the world's busiest airports, Heathrow, are lawful. The scheme had been blocked earlier this year by a lower court, which said the British government had failed to take account of its most recent climate targets when it backed the project. BBC's Roger Harabin reports. This ruling is a blow for campaigners who'd won backing from the lower courts for their argument that plans for a third runway at Heathrow should measure up to the government's latest climate change targets. The Supreme Court said the runway only needed to meet less strict climate targets at the time when the government's airport strategy was agreed. But this is just one battle in the long war over the third runway at Heathrow. Heathrow Airport Limited will now have to get their plan approved by an inquiry. Then ministers will have the final say. Japanese prosecutors have charged a man with murder following an arson attack last year that killed 36 people. Shinji Aoba was detained immediately after the fire at the animation studio in Kyoto. But he wasn't formally arrested until May this year because he was recovering from burns he'd suffered. The European Union's top official has said the first coronavirus vaccine will be authorised for use in the EU within a week and rolled out the same day. Ursula von der Leyen made the pledge to the European Parliament. We will need up to 70% of the population vaccinated. This is a huge task, a big task. So let's start as soon as possible with the vaccination together as 27 with a start at the same day. As we've gone in unity through this pandemic, let's start the eradication of this horrible virus together and united. Slaven Bilic of West Bromwich Albion is the first manager to lose his job in this year's Premier League season. West Brom are second from bottom in the standings with only seven points from its opening 13 games. Bilic had been in charge for 18 months and led the Baggies to promotion last season. Two-time NBA Most Valuable Player Giannis Antetokounmpo has ended speculation by committing his long-term future to the Milwaukee Bucks. 26-year-old agreed a maximum five-year contract extension worth $228 million. Had he passed on the offer, he would have become an unrestricted free agent next summer. Antetokounmpo is the coming off a career year averaging 29 points and 13 rebounds per game and became just the third player in the league history to win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the same season. Mind of our top stories tonight, Shenzhen authorities charged 10 of the 12 Hong Kongers who allegedly tried to flee to Taiwan by boat. Authorities partially evacuate a public housing block in Naochiwan after a Covid outbreak and the pro-establishment activist Letitia Lee has died. News from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 it's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. 
The chairwoman of the group United Filipinos in Hong Kong has welcomed a government move to offer free coronavirus testing to all foreign domestic helpers in Hong Kong. Dolores Baladares told RTHK's Anna-Marie Evans that the scheme should help address their health concerns. Definitely the workers are worried and we are actually concerned uh, about what happened to our co-workers and we are uh, looking forward for their uh, fast recovery and the support for their medical uh, assistance from the government is very much important. Now, we've heard from health officials that some helpers stayed overnight in the Taipo boarding house. How common is that and why do they have to spend a night there? Well, uh, it's been... um, uh, I know uh, it's been a while. It's um, I don't know how often is that, uh, but I think the situation is that uh, during the pandemic, workers are you know are very tired. Sometimes they don't have to stay off, and they need a place to to stay. Uh, and uh, maybe sometimes they go to a friend's house, uh, but uh, I'm not uh, very sure how often uh, that things happen. Now, have you noticed fewer helpers are taking their day off on Sunday and are they reducing gatherings and, you know, in terms of social distancing rules? Uh, well, there, there's a, uh, no, a big uh, a big uh, cut on the numbers of domestic workers gathered every Sunday, uh, especially this uh, pandemic because of the social distancing. And um, aside from that, uh, even the parks and other places are also not uh, allowed for workers to stay. So uh, it's really hard for the domestic workers to look into a place where they can go and stay and have a rest for their day off. Indeed. I mean, do you think that the government needs to be a bit more practical about, um, you know, how tens of thousands of domestic helpers here or foreign domestic helpers can actually maintain successfully social distancing on their one mandatory day off? Workers' point of view, we are uh, following the restriction of the social distancing, uh, and uh, we are listening to the to the announcement of the Hong Kong government. But but I think uh, the problem at the moment is a place for the worker to go uh, during day off because it's very hard uh, for for us uh, to look a place uh, where to go. Uh, this been quite. Uh, our uh, demand from the Hong Kong government is uh, they can provide a temporary shelter or a place for the worker to go so that we can have a, 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 no, a day to, to stay, uh, to, 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 uh, no, to, to relax and rest. But unfortunately, at, until uh, this time, uh, we haven't heard about um, about action. Uh, we, we don't heard any action from the government regarding this accommodation for domestic workers. The chairman of the Lang Kwai Fong Group, Alan Zeman, says the government's anti-pandemic measures and the way they're applied are, is killing the economy. He told RTHK he agreed with the Restaurant Federation that at least $30 billion is the minimum that's now needed to keep many dining and entertainment businesses afloat. The government yesterday said it hoped to submit a funding request to LegCo before Christmas for new relief for firms affected by the latest round of closures. But Mr Zeman says it needs to rethink what it called its suppress and lift strategy. Bars especially have been closed this year approximately 145 days and you know it's impossible for them to 
to exist at the moment, you know, and, and then restaurants, of course, have to now close at 6 p.m. Uh, I've advocated maybe <laughs> what's the difference if you let them go till 8 p.m., you know. <laughs> the, the two hours, the, the virus is not going to make a difference to diners, and at least people can get an early dinner in. You know, the biggest problem is it comes in, in December, Christmas, for every business, is the, the major <laughs> income producer. You know, everybody waits for, for December, for the last quarter, actually, in order to make up for the lousy months uh, during the year. And uh, the way it's come right now, it's just totally uh, affected everybody. And so many, many businesses, you know, the industry uh, employs 324,000 people. If 10% get laid off, uh, it's 32,000 people, which is a lot. If 20%, you know, 64,000. So we're talking about uh, basically 30 billion would be a minimum, maybe cutting tax payments uh, for businesses with bar endorsement, and restaurants, uh, just uh, you know, the government's idea of suppress and lift, uh, to me, just doesn't work. You know, I know they listen to the health experts, which I agree we have to, but there has to be economic experts as well. There needs to be a balance between both and in order if you want to keep the economy alive because we'll have the healthiest people, but uh, nobody's going to have a job at the end of the day. So uh, our suggestion is that uh, you let businesses open, and then if uh, there's a cluster in a restaurant or bar or a club or whatever, close it down for a week, sanitize it, and then put people back to work again. And that way the economy can continue, businesses can continue to operate as long as everyone follows the rules. Listen, this time the fourth wave has not been because of bars or, or, or restaurants, it's basically been in uh, the dancing community. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. Unfortunately, it's not, it's not licensed and, and, and uh with restaurants and bars, you have FEHD and police that are able to monitor and make sure everybody is following the rules. And, and uh, if you don't, the suppress and lift policy forces people to party at home and mm. basically without masks, without the social distancing and all the other things. So you're much better off to forget to su suppress and lift and just let the economy work. Because what if there's a fifth and sixth wave again? You can't keep dishing out you know, 30 billion or 24 billion, uh, our reserves keep going down. Alan Zeman there speaking to Mike Weeks. A Chinese space capsule which is bringing back the first moon rocks in more than four decades has started its three-day return to Earth. The craft's lander touched down on the moon earlier this month, close to a formation called the Mons Rumka, an area believed to have been the site of ancient volcanic activity. So why are these samples so important? The BBC's James Cotnell speaks to Namrata Goswami, an independent analyst who wrote about space for the US Defence Department's Minerva Research Institute. There are two reasons why they are interested in getting back lunar sample. One is that for a long time they had wanted to get their own samples in terms of assessing what the lunar regolith consists of, for example, what is the composition and how that can help them in terms of their long-term thinking of establishing a lunar base. And the second reason is that it's a way of demonstrating their own independent capability to bring back lunar rocks nearly 50 years after the Apollo missions did it for the first time. Does that mean that even 50 years after it happened for the first time, the information about the moon hasn't been widely shared? It's still something of a secret? 
So in, in a sense, uh, what is uh, critical in understanding this is that there is a lack of cooperation between the U.S. and China in terms of space cooperation, at least from a state to state side. And I see uh, so the China National Space Administration announced the need for having their own rocks that they can analyze, given that they have long term ambitions for future missions, for example, going to the lunar south pole by 2024 and establishing a lunar research base by 2036. So given the fact that they have their own independent ambitions, they wanted to have their own lunar rocks. And their ambitions, you say, include really a strong focus on the moon as opposed to, say, the US, which seems to be looking more towards Mars. Why is that, do you think? So uh, for China, when they started looking at space, uh, one of the reasons they are looking at the moon is because in their estimation, the moon has resources like helium-3, water ice, uh, platinum, titanium, iron ore that can help them in terms of constructing first a robotic base and then in some future date, a human base that can help them becoming a spacefaring civilization. And so when they started their lunar program in 2005, uh, that resulted in the first mission in 2007, the logic given was that this is because they are looking at developing lunar capacity for long-term space, deep space exploration possibility. And the second goal is that the moon, for launching from the moon, for example, if you want to launch to deep space from the moon with a base there, it's 22 times more energy efficient than launching from Earth because of Earth's very deep gravity well. So those are the two reasons that they identified as why they are so interested in the moon. And for China, the US, Russia, others, perhaps India, what is the objective here? Why does going into space matter so much? Is it resources? Is it uh, for military means? Is it a sense of national prestige? What is so interesting from my study uh, is that the conversation around why nations like China and India are now going to space is not as much to do with prestige, but also to do with long-term resource utilization goals. So if you look at what China is articulating in terms of why they're interested in space at all, there are two reasons. One is that they see the return of investment from space, not just in terms of military, but civilian uh, return, for example, from the Beidou navigation system. And then finally, they also point out that if you are capable of extracting resources, say, on the lunar surface, the return of investment is going to be in the tens of trillions of dollars by 2050. So that's the estimation of why they are interested in going to space. Now we highlight another of this year's Operation Santa Claus beneficiaries. Phil Whelan went to the Hong Kong Red Cross headquarters in West Kowloon to find out about its mentoring programme, Little Buddies. He spoke with one of the managers of the project, Sandy Wong. Little Buddies is an educational programme for primary one and two students to go through their humanity journey. So we hope to cultivate and shaping their vision and mission by our Little Buddies programme. So how do you do it? What kind of activities are we talking about? Yeah, we have many kinds of activities such as experiential activity, uh, such as role playing, uh, painting, jigsaw puzzle, uh, puppet production and performance. And they also have chance to engage in the service learning activity and gain 
their service experience so that we hope they can uh, have the spirit of volunteerism. So service experience, that's why it's a Red Cross thing, little buddies, right? Yeah. So um, we really, really hope that the children can be here to learn about the latest people group or the available uh, community resources that can let them know about the scenario or situation of the community. How do you teach them to be service conscious, to become that kind of person? Um, because they are primary one or primary two students, uh, we do not hope that to engage too deep inside the program. We just let them know. We, we may introduce some program or the needy group in the society to them. Just talk about uh, when you go, uh, go to the street, um, which kind of people you will uh, think that they are needy group so that um, they will have chances to discuss with their peers to find out that which kind of people are needy. With the help of Operation Santa Claus, what do you think you're going to spend these funds on? What kind of things? Um, actually, we use the donation to support the students who have needed that are CSSA and the SFSA. We have established a systematic procedure and to select uh, which one is the eligible family, a low-income family to join the program. Uh, the children can take away the intangible goods directly, such as uniforms, certificates, badges, um, sticker books. The intangible items such as uh, experience, love, peers, networks, and guidance will be won by Hong Kong Red Cross. So this is the pilot project. Do you encourage them to grow through the Red Cross and become full members and maybe help you in a bigger exactly. way? Exactly. We hope to achieve this objective very much. So when they finish the stage of Little Buddies, they will have chance to promote to another stage that is our junior unit. And then when, when they go to the secondary school, they can be our youth member. And then uh, you can see the path in Red Cross we are prepared for the children is from 6 years old to 16 years old and after. Thank you very much for Operation Santa Claus for supporting Hong Kong Red Cross to give love, surprise and blessings to the children. That was Sandy Wong from the Hong Kong Red Cross talking about its Operation Santa Claus project, Little Buddies. If you want to know more or wish to make a donation to Operation Santa 2020, visit our Radio 3 homepage or osc.scmp.com. Those stories are part of the Newswrap program which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. To fight the virus together, we must protect ourselves and others and reduce social contact. Stay at home as far as possible. Avoid social gatherings and don't go to crowded places. Work from home if feasible. Don't shake hands with others. We should also avoid meal gatherings. Let's adopt these measures to prevent the spread of novel coronavirus in the community. For more information on fighting the virus, visit chp.gov.hk. Radio 3 Weather. A look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Cloudy and cool overnight with lows over the islands in the new territories of around 10 degrees Celsius. Sunny periods during the day. Maximum temperatures should be around 17 and the winds we can expect will be moderate north to northeasterlies and occasionally fresh. The outlook? 
Still rather cool in the morning in the following couple of days. Cold mornings early next week, with the temperature difference being relatively large between day and night. Currently, the air quality health index here in Hong Kong is low, which means the air quality is good. The readings are two and three. At the observatory, air temperature is 15 degrees Celsius. Relative humidity stands at 72%, and the cold weather warning is in effect. Getting us started for the second half of the show, KC and the Sunshine Band. Please don't go. I'm Simon Wilson, sitting in for Uncle Ray, the world's most durable DJ. He's taking some time off during...